You're listening to The Philip Jordan Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome in on this Wednesday to The Philip Jordan Show here on Wiregrass Daily News Sports. I am your host, Philip Jordan, in-studio host and producer of Dutton Woods Football, and I see a legend and Auburn rider for last word on college football. The Michigan Wolverines are the 2023 college football national champions. Your boy here picked that right earlier in the week on Monday's show. Kind of a dominating performance. They dominated the run game, and they got pressure on Michael Penix just it was pretty much their game start to finish. Got a little close. Got a couple of times, 17 to a half time, 20 to 13 there in the fourth quarter. But Michigan pulled away. Really felt like they could have beat Washington by more than they did. But on today's show, I will be joined by John Vogel, NFL Draft Analyst, host of the SICK Podcast with Draft Vogel. So we'll be breaking the game down with, with John in just a few moments. And also, uh, we'll look at some pro prospects uh, with John as well and also we'll look at some defensive coordinator openings at both alabama and auburn the tennessee titans and atlanta falcons making making new head coach hires and uh, much much more here on today's edition of the phil jordan show you can check out the phil jordan show podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcast if you're on apple Podcasts, please follow rate and review leave a review and i will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com. Everybody, as promised on the top of the show, I am joined by John Vogel, a long-time friend. We hadn't done this in a while. We hadn't talked uh, with John in a bit, but uh, NFL draft analyst, and you check him out on his podcast, The Sick Podcast with Draft Vogel. Uh, we're going to be talking all about Michigan's 34-13 win over Washington. But, John, appreciate the time. I hope you're doing well. Hey, I appreciate you having me on, dude. Always, always a good opportunity to chat with you. And yeah, it has been a while. I'm glad that we're doing this. So, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I was, you know, I'm always used to having an SEC team to talk about in <laughs> in these games. Uh, uh, you know, just for you, and of course, you look at a lot of this stuff through the lens of the NFL draft prospects, stuff like that. But was there a part of you that missed uh, not having an SEC team uh, in this kind of game? Yeah, I think. I think we all know that if Georgia was there, they were going to win it, right? Um, yeah. You know, it, we, we heard Florida State, you know, crying and whining all year, you know, at least since the, the playoff committee dropped the top four, that they should have been there. Georgia had every right to be there as well, and they just didn't say anything. They went out and took care of business. Um, so, you know, but, but looking at that game, it's clear that Georgia would have beat either one of those teams. But, hey, every once in a while, I guess – the SEC can't continue to dominate all the time. Otherwise, it's not interesting, and we got a 12-team playoff coming up. So who cares how this one ended up? Uh, yeah. You know, but no, it it, was, it is interesting because we are used to that SEC team always being there, and this time it was we're watching the Pac-12 that's dying and last game they're ever going to play in with the uh, with the Big Ten. Yeah, I joked with my guest uh, on Monday's show, uh, Dustin Shooter, who covers the Big Ten for Sports Illustrated. I said, I guess it's technically an all-Big Ten title since Washington's coming into the right. conference. Because I right. would have said the same thing if Alabama and Texas played. I said, this is an all-SEC championship. So, you know, we wouldn't have <laughs> done all that. So, but, uh, you know, you look at it, 
And I thought before I tell you what my thoughts were going to game. Um, what was your expectations going into the game? How did you think it was going to go? You know, I have some really good friends, you know, that, that do this stuff for a living and bet on it and bet on this stuff. And pretty much everybody told me the same thing, which is Michigan was probably going to win this game. Uh, so I think my prediction was Michigan by ten. I thought they'd pull it off. There'd be about that range. I thought Washington would be able to move the ball enough on them. Uh, but what we saw was an absolute domination. They just took out Penix. You know, they kept pressure on him and disrupted his natural timing. So, and then even by the end of the game, it was pitiful. It was watching him just, he was so freaking hurt. Um, mm -hmm. Probably shouldn't have been playing at that point, but kept on going. And But no, I thought Michigan would win by 10. I thought that, you know, uh, Washington hadn't seen a defense quite like theirs yet, especially not a defensive line. And I thought that Washington hadn't seen a run offense like Michigan's. And I expected Michigan to come in there and play ball control and be able to do so really well. Um, and so, but 21, I was not quite anticipating. Yeah, I, I know. I feel like last week after the two semifinals, especially after Washington, Texas, everybody saw what Penix did in the passing game. I said, I think everybody fell in love with that. And look, that's the that's the sexy part of football. Everybody loves to see the the, the air show throws down the field. It, it, the points, it's exciting. But I just, I want you guys as much as I love talking about quarterbacks. I always look at it, line scrimmage. Who do I think's better? And I, I was kind of in that mindset going into the game. I felt like seeing what Michigan needs Alabama. I know Alabama's offensive line does not peak Alabama, but still, what they did last week and then how they like to lean on you with their running game. I just thought that was where Michigan had the advantage, and that's kind of where I always go with these big games. Who, who's the better team up front? Who's going to win the line scrimmage? You know, and that's what we saw in Michigan. They dominated both sides of the line of scrimmage, and they did it all year. Mm -hmm. um, they've got a bunch of guys that are going to go play in the NFL on those defensive lines. they got a sophomore right now that if he was eligible, he'd be a first-round draft pick in Kenneth Grant. But, you know, um, they their offensive line, they – even missing Zach Zinter, they had the depth to continue to play with them and continue to go down the line, and that's what they did. Um, you know, they're, they're, they were crazy, crazy deep, you know, on both of those lines. So I think that that was physical dominance. And then to be to have a stable running backs like they have, and Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards, it's just it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to watch. It's always fun when you got a dominant team like that. They can put together that kind of talent, especially nowadays. Uh, with the you know running backs wanting to go play more and beat bell cow and always hitting the transfer portal and you know these guys they stuck with it. Blake Corm had an opportunity to go to the NFL last year and be potentially a second round draft pick and he decides to come back and sets the Michigan touchdown record in career and single season. You got it. You can't help but feel good for him. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean Donovan Edwards. I mean he, he was kind of like this guy last year when uh, Blake Corm got hurt. And then yeah. we kind of didn't see much from this season. Man, this game, he had a 46-yard touchdown run and a 41-yard touchdown run. And early on in the game, was it as simple as Michigan's offensive line and these running backs were just super talented? Or was there something maybe um, good schematically or, you know, something Aces knows you saw that Michigan was doing to uh, equate to that success? Well, you know, it's just field vision, right, as a running back. When you look at, you know, Edwards' first touchdown run when he popped the 41-yard runoff, it was a, a little zone, inside zone, running up the middle. And it wasn't there wasn't anything there. He's able to bounce it outside after all the Washington defenders have already committed. You know, so once you bounce it outside and you've got you know the secondary support already moving toward the pile, you now you got to completely turn around and run back up the court up the field, and you're not going to be able to do that. 
And that's kind of what happened there is, and then the 46 yard run Edwards is just, you know, he's just more physical. He's just faster. You know? Yeah. Corum is a physical little running back, you know? So I don't think they did anything necessarily X's and O's that popped. It was just really, you've got better athletes, you're more physical up front and Washington didn't know how to handle that. And then you talk about all uh, Penix, and they got pressure on them. You know, kind of like they did last week with Jalen Miro. Uh, they got pressure mm-hmm. on the quarterback. Um, what were you know outside of that? What were some of the struggles? Because obviously they could not hit the deep play either. Which Michigan's got a really good secondary, and I and I brought up somebody last week. Oh, look, look, maybe Michigan hasn't gone up against this many talented receivers of this level before, but they're used to it dealing with Ohio State. They've gone up against NFL level receivers before in the Big Ten with Ohio State. But uh, what, what did you see there with like Michigan's defense versus the Washington offense? You know, uh, there were a couple little things I think that that were that popped out schematically, right? Where? Give me one second here, Philip. I think there's something up. I'm sorry, we need to pause. You good? So schematically, yeah. Defensively, what Michigan was kind of doing was, you know, there a lot of what Washington runs is based on timing. When you throw deep ball concepts, especially you know with the vertical stuff that Washington likes to run. You know, you're you, if you get up in there and you disrupt them initially and you throw them off of their routes or throw them off their rhythm, that, that can be a lot for them to handle, especially when you got, you know, Penix, who's not a guy that normally do, operates very well outside of rhythm, outside of, you know, keeping the offensive structure. If you have to move him off of this platform, he's going to struggle. And that's what we kind of seen, you know, when you looked at the Oregon games. Oregon's defense slowed him down, slowed that offense down when they were able to pressure him. There's just not many teams were able to get that kind of pressure on him consistently enough to disrupt the offense. And so, you know, when you jam the receivers, you play some press coverage, you do some different things like that, you play physical, which Michigan secondary is more than capable of doing, um, you know, that, that's, that kind of allowed them to, to be disruptive and, and throw Penix off and allow the pressure to get home because now he's, his sight picture is destroyed. You know, he's used to seeing something, he's used to seeing one thing, you know, maybe it's okay, we we saw a lot of too high this year, and that's what we typically play against. And now they're showing me different looks. There's a little bit of disguise coverage just because Michigan does that a little bit. You know, so it's just enough to just disrupt the, the rhythm and the timing of what they're capably doing or typically doing. And uh, that's what allowed them to kind of build that lead there, especially when they got to the end when they beat up Penix. Yeah, it was kind of a weird game, too, because it felt like the whole game Michigan was dominating. But at halftime, it's like 17 to 10, and then it's 20 to 13 early in the fourth quarter. But, of course, you know, Michigan pulled away at the end. It, it was just kind of like – do you think Michigan was kind of like taking their foot off the gas pedal a little bit? I mean, how was Washington still kind of – they were still in it going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, there was – there was. Uh, I had said something, I think, on Twitter X, whatever we call it now, um, <laughs> at that point. And, and it was like – they were play calling. Michigan's offense was play calling not to lose. And they were losing a lot of that aggression that they normally play with. I mean, if you go back to the key moments of the last three or four Michigan games, you know, where they really, where the game became decisive, was the Ohio State game, the Alabama game last week, and even this game, it was when they got aggressive. When they got outside the box, that's when they were able to strike and, and, and build those leads and take and be, and be that dominant team. Um, what we saw was in those couple quarters there, they just were not being dot. They weren't being aggressive. They were 
slowing down, just trying to, you know, typical stuff, run the ball up the middle and trying to just whatever, you run the time, run the clock out. And I think I said that. And I said, you know, if they keep calling plays like this, they're, not, they're going to give Washington a chance. You don't want to give Penix a chance like that. But, you know, they opened up there in that fourth quarter in that first drive that they had when they got the ball back and they went down the field. They pulled up a couple really good aggressive plays, hit uh, the, the tight end, what's his name, Lovelace or something like that, 18, hit him down the field. Uh, on a really nice little wheel design, some misdirection and cool stuff to it. So once they get, that's the thing about Michigan this year is once they got aggressive and they got outside of that normal, how they run their offense, they were really good. So uh, let's talk about these quarterbacks. And look, and we kind of mentioned it after last week, a lot of people excited talking about Michael Penix and what they did. And I saw a lot of people on social media say, man, this guy should be ranked higher. Uh, when it comes to the quarterback prospects coming out after what we saw against Texas. And Texas is really good defense, so that was an impressive mm-hmm. performance last week. But uh, where are you on Michael Penix as a NFL prospect? He's so he's impossible to project right now, Philip. Um, and it's because there's so much that's unknown about his medical situation. Um, he, he played four years at Indiana, and in every single one of those four years, he ended with a – season-ending injury in a C joint, a shoulder, and then two ACLs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be huge. When he goes to combine, he gets his medical checkup. The results of that is going to determine really where he goes in the draft. If he's got a clear medicals and he's good to go, I can see him going second. He might even sneak into the end of the first round. But now if he doesn't, I can see fifth, sixth, seventh round really pushing toward the back end of the draft because when you have you know a bad medical situation – it's so much harder for teams to want to invest that kind of money in you. But I think that there's going to be a few concerns. Everybody thought that he was a really accurate deep ball thrower, and he can be. It's just when you get him, just when you disrupt him, and you get, like I said, you move him off his platform, he really struggles to just operate. He really needs the offense to be in sync. He needs everything to be in motion. Very Kirk Cousins-esque, you know, like where we watch him put up all these great numbers and does an awesome job, throws the ball all over the yard, but as soon as you disrupt him, you get pressure on him, he struggles. That's kind of Michael Penix at this point. So I think that's kind of the big question with him. It, 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 on, on top of just the extended release, I mean, he has it takes him a long time to throw the ball, to get it out of his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a concern if you're an NFL franchise. Because if you already got a guy that can't operate outside of pressure, now he's got an extended release on top of that. Now we're talking about hanging on to the ball too long and there's all kinds of issues that come up with that in terms of just trying to scheme an offense and operate within it. And then on the other side, because I, I do see uh, people talk very highly of J.J. McCarthy. And, of course, he mm-hmm. doesn't get asked to do a lot with Michigan. But when he's asked to do stuff, he, he usually performs pretty well. He did so in these two playoff games. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? I think he needs to go back for another year. Um, and I know that there's a lot of quarterbacks that went back. For another year right and I, we have a lot of these six-year guys there's a lot of nil money that's floating around people are cashing in those checks and you know making a little extra money while they go back to school for another year but with jj you know it's just the fact that we haven't seen him do more than what he's been asked to do um granted that's what you want your quarterback right hey go out there go do your stuff but right now jj looks like a game manager who can create with his legs he's a good athlete he's got a pretty good arm we don't know what's going to do when you know when what's going to happen when the game is on the line. You you need a game-winning drive. You need you're down by seven. Go go the length of the field. No timeouts. What are you going to do? 
And what, how, how are you going to perform in that situation? We haven't seen that, you know? So I think, um, yeah, there's so much that's uncertain right now in Michigan in general. Jim Harbaugh, does he come back? Is he about to go somewhere else? I've heard rumors about him going to high school at this point, which wouldn't nothing would surprise me, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think high school is a simpler level. If you think about it, he went to the from the NFL to college back when college football was a lot simpler. It's not mm -hmm. simple anymore. So it makes you wonder, is he kind of starting to get older? Does he want to go back to high school? He's made, what does he have to prove at this point? Does he really want to go back to the NFL? I guess we're going to find out. But, you know, um, if he goes back without JJ, without, you know, a hardball there, and then still continues to ball out, I think that that would help his uh, prospectus a lot. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It'll be interesting with a lot of stuff. Of course, uh, everybody needs to follow John, check him out when it comes to uh, the NFL draft. But, uh, John, tell everybody, the uh, listeners and viewers, uh, where they can find you online if they want to check you out. Yeah, so we're putting up, um, we've been working with NFL Draft Lounge uh, for my writing content. So just put out my mock draft and some initial notes on the Hula Bowl this week because the All Star Circuit's getting underway. Uh, and then, obviously, you mentioned it on the, when we came in, man, the sick podcast, Draft Ogle, we do. A lot of breakdowns on, you know, not just really so much players, but how to scout and different things like that. Um, Sick Podcast Network is a great, they're an awesome partner. Uh, absolutely love working with them and have a ton of respect for all those guys that work up there at the top, especially Sammy and AC. Um, yeah, but Jacka, not you don't need to just check me out on there. We got a lot of really great hosts, Adam Ranks on there. A lot of really great hockey guys too. Uh, so yeah, go check them out as well. All right, everybody, go check out John and uh, John. I appreciate the time and uh, look forward to doing this time away. We got to get into some uh, some other quarterbacks uh, before we get it, as we get into draft season. It sounds great, Philip. Let's do it. Ninety-six-nine. The legend is your connection to classic country legend. But Digio Strategies has other options too. News Talk one hundred three nine is your source for America's top news and entertainment shows, like Rick and Bubba in the morning, Glenn Beck from nine till eleven a.m., and Clay Travis and Buck Sexton middays from eleven a.m. till two p.m. Sean Hannity, Lars Larson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, and others fill your day with the latest news and views from America's top conservative voices. America. At night and coast to coast AM keep you company and connected throughout the night. Plus, Fox News, the Alabama Radio Network, and Wiregrass Daily News keep you informed with national, international, state, and local news, and with more musical choices like all the hits 1067 KMX, Today's Country 955 WTVY, and Music 1077. Digio Strategies gives you more choices and more variety. Listen on air, online, and on our apps. 969 The Legend is just the beginning. All right, and once again, thanks to John Vogel for coming on today's edition of the Philip Jordan Show right here on Wiregrass Daily News Sports. And uh, we'll have John on later on to talk more NFL draft stuff, SEC, Alabama, Auburn, some quarterback stuff later on. It is the uh, the all-star circuit's going to be kicking in here pretty soon, NFL playoffs. So still plenty of football stuff to discuss and transfer portal and all coaching movement and all that stuff. So plenty to talk about, plenty to talk about. Just because the college football season is over, it does not mean there's not stuff we can discuss. And let's jump into it. Some Auburn news. On Monday, defensive coordinator Ron Roberts story come out. He will be headed to Florida to be co-defensive coordinator and linebacker coach for the Gators. Florida struggled at times. They were on defense, so it'll be interesting what he does there. Under Roberts in his one year at Auburn, Auburn was ranked 45th nationally in yards allowed and 41st in points allowed. Uh, with Charles Kelly 
coming on staff. That has not been officially announced, I don't believe, though, by Auburn. Uh, one would assume he would be the new defensive coordinator, but we shall see. Now, Zach Blackerby over at Sports Illustrated, uh, he put out three names that you could see as the new Auburn defense coordinator. Uh, Chris Kiffin, brother of Lane Kiffin. Uh, Chris and Hugh Freeze worked together uh, there at Ole Miss. So that's a possibility. Charles Kelly, of course, and Zach Arnett. And uh, in Zach's story over at Sports Illustrated, uh, Auburn Daily, he did mention the fact that Auburn Undercover has mentioned that uh, this is a name Zach Arnett is one to be discussed. Of course, he was just the head coach at Mississippi State for one year. Uh, got fired after replacing the late great Mike Leach. Didn't work out as head coach, but he is a really good defense coordinator. So that may be another name to look out for. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, Chris Slow of ESPN uh, put this out on X this weekend that said that uh, Hugh Freeze will call plays per sources uh, to ESPN. Uh, this is not surprising. Uh, this is what Hugh Freeze has done pretty much everywhere he's been as a head coach, and he didn't do it this past year at Auburn. But you could tell he got more involved in it, but we'll see. That I think Auburn fans should be excited about that. Hugh Freeze calling it. Hugh Freeze calling it play because, hey, what he has done offensively as a play caller is a big reason why he got hired. So, And Auburn ranked 11th in SEC in scoring offense, so they really want that to get better in quarterback play to get better, which I still think Auburn needs to jump into the portal for that. Uh, good news on the defense side of the ball. We're going to jump back over there for Auburn. Keontae Scott will not enter the portal. We talked about this last week that it was looking like he was going to the portal, but he put this on X. Thankful for the patience and honest opinions, but the real know where home is for me. Hashtag RDE. War Eagle. So he will be returning to Auburn, which is big because Auburn is pretty thin in what they have coming back in the secondary. With DJ James, Nehemiah Pritchett, Zion Puckett, Jalen Simpson all headed for the NFL draft. On the Alabama side of things, defense coordinator Kevin Steele will be retiring at the age of 66 after one year returning to Alabama, but this was his third stint with the Tide, his 40th year in coaching in 13th in the SEC. Remember, he also served as defense coordinator under Gus Malzahn at Auburn. They were second in scoring defense and 16th nationally there. And according to AL.com's Matt Stahl, he put out an article on some potential replacements in-house. Uh, Traverius Robinson, who was cornerbacks coach uh, for them, Lane Kiffin, accused Alabama, or speculated, whichever word you want to use, early in the year that Robinson was actually the one calling the defensive plays there for Alabama. And then Charlie Strong, who's on staff as analyst. Of course, remember him as the head coach at Louisville and at other spots, Texas, of course, and also had a successful run as defense coordinator, Florida and South Carolina, won a national championship as a defense coordinator for Florida Gators. So we'll see uh, what happens there. Um, outside, uh, Glenn Schulman over at Georgia, which will much chance there as well. See if we can get that tie going. Uh, DJ Durkin, who is not currently on staff anywhere, but he was on staff with Jimbo Fisher with Texas A&M this past year. Zach Carnett and Charles Kelly, another name. That have been mentioned. We'll see if Charles Kelly would he uh would he spurn his alma mater to go to the Crimson Tide. That would be uh quite interesting. Uh running back Jace McKellen announced he will be headed uh to the NFL uh in his career to Alabama. He had 1,981 yards, 18 touchdowns. This year, his best year, he had 809 yards, eight touchdowns. Of course, he did not play an SEC championship game, he got injured against Auburn. But I came. He had a touchdown against Michigan in the Rose Bowl last week when Alabama lost twenty-seven to twenty. 
Uh, Fort Troy, uh, some transfer news for them. Defensive back Cecil Powell from NC State has committed to the Trojans. Uh, also, Gardner Webb, linebacker Brandon Jackson, and two players from East Carolina, running back Gerald Green and linebacker Ron Rod Dilworth are headed to Troy. Some overall SEC news, big, big news here. Uh, running back transfer, uh, former Ole Miss running back Quinshawn Junkins, who will be headed to Ohio State. Of course, they just added Will Howard there. So they're not liking Michigan, their arch rival, winning a championship. So now it looks as, it, as if that is now the direction where uh, they're going. So be interesting. Be interesting to watch Ohio State now with uh, these additions if you're interested on SC, on college football, the national scale of things. Over NFL, this um, was released after I had recorded Monday's episode. Full disclosure, recorded that about 9.30, 10 o'clock on Sunday night. But the Atlanta Falcons did fire Arthur Smith on Sunday. I think a lot of people may have seen this coming. Um, it was a rough go in their final game against uh, the hated New Orleans Saints. That's a rivalry game for these two teams. Um he was 7-10 this year, 21-30 and 30 overall, 7-10 all three seasons there. Lost 17-48 to 48 to New Orleans on Sunday. Um, I, I just think his first year he did have Matt Ryan. That didn't work. In these last two years, I think the, the next year there was some overachieving there. He had Desmond Ritter, which is a rookie quarterback. But this year I think quarterback was reason. Desmond Ritter and also Taylor uh, Heineke just going back and forth with that a committal quarterback not really developing that position where you would want it. I think that really hurt Arthur Smith there with the Falcons. And uh, so now we'll see where they go uh, with their head coaching search and who they can find. They've got good skill position players. They have some pieces there in Atlanta that can be a playoff team. They just need to find a quarterback. And I, I don't really – to be a playoff team, I don't believe they need to have a, a franchise-changing quarterback. just need to – increase or upgrade in that position and we'll see what happens and that a lot of that depends who's the next head coach and where Atlanta wants to go with that and then on Tuesday the Tennessee Titans fired Mike Vrabel I was kind of surprised by this to be honest with you I think Mike Vrabel's a really good coach 54 and 45 overall with two playoff wins but the last two years have not gone well in 2022, they went 7-10. to They started 7-3. They lost seven in a row to end the year. This past year, 6-11. and Again, injuries around Tannehill. You go Will Levis. You saw some flashes, but also the, the roster is just not as good as it once was. You got to think Derrick Henry's not going to be there next year. Obviously, Ryan Tannehill's not. Will Levis is their future. That's where they're going to go with. So we'll see what they want to do at that position as well. And I'm going to read a quote uh, for you guys. And uh, – Apologize if you're watching online. I will be reading it off my cellular device. I got it here queued up. Uh, earlier today, I spoke with Mike Vrabel and told him about my decision to make a change of head coach. Owner Amy Adams Drunk said in a statement on Tuesday. And I got this from over at NFL.com. As I told Coach Vrabel, this decision was as difficult as any I've made as controlling owner. I appreciate my contributions to the Tennessee Titans, both on and off the field. Anyone who has ever met him knows how passionate and genuine he is, and he's been a strong supporter of the Nashville community. We wish Mike, Jen, and the Rabel family nothing but the best in the future. And she also had this in to say in that article as well. As the NFL continues to innovate and evolve, I believe the team's best position for sustained success will be those who empower and align and collaborative team across football functions. Adam Struck said in a statement on Tuesday, last 
year, we began a shift in our approach to football leadership and made several changes to our personnel to advance that plan. As I continue to assess the state of our team, I arrived at the conclusion our team would also benefit from the fresh approach and perspective of a new coaching staff. I believe the Tennessee Titans can and will be a premier fo National Football League franchise. It's what our fans deserve, and there will be hard decisions along the way. My decision today is not only a reflection of its appointment in our past two seasons, but also my recognition that further changes are necessary to fully achieve our vision. Look, you hit the right coach and Will Levis works and you get enough players around this team, you can win the ASC South next year. I mean, there's some questions around Jacksonville. I'm starting to kind of wonder if Trevor Lawrence really is a franchise quarterback. Um, he has these great throws in these tremendous games, but he also disappoints you as well. He'll be going to year four next year. Uh, the Texans, now that's the thing you got to watch out with C.J. Stroud. They win the division in year one with him as quarterback and Mika Ryan's as head coach. And um, the Colts, look out for them too, Anthony Richardson. They almost made the playoffs with Garner Minshew playing most of the year after Anthony Richardson got hurt early in the year. So we shall see what's going on with that. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. Once again, thanks to John Vogel for coming on and joining me and talking uh, about the, the national championship game on Monday night. I'll be back on Friday. I'm going to do the show differently on Friday. I'm going to start with the open uh, open and news stuff and then do the guest. But what we will be discussing on Friday with the guest, Matt Barbado. I've been talking to this guy for years, radio, podcast. He's a writer for uh, the betting pros and fantasy pros. We will preview Super Wildcard Weekend National Football League. I know you guys are probably most of college fans, but you know good way you're watching NFL playoffs. So we will preview that. But I think I'm also going to give my top 10 college football teams for 2024. And uh, we'll see. We'll work on that. But it uh, should be fun. Really looking forward uh, to having that conversation with Matt. Anyways, I hope everybody has a great, great Wednesday. Mary can follow me on social media at PJordanSEC. The podcast available over Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. The review, I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you're just a straight-up hater. Uh, you can also check out the show over at wiregrassdailynews.com. Uh, you can email me at sportsoutfitjordan.gmail.com and check out all my written work over at Last Word on college football. And send an email. Send a question. I'm always, always for that, too, as well. Anyways, I appreciate the time for all you guys checking out the show. And uh, you have been listening and watching the Philip Jordan Show on Wiregrass Daily News Sports.